This is Boba for Breakfast. I am not a bounty hunter. A Rebel Base Card special podcast series. Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. That asks more questions than it answers. You were all once captains under Jabba the Hutt. I'm here to make a proposal that's mutually beneficial. Why speak of conflict? When cooperation can make us all rich. And now it's time to begin asking those questions. Please, speak freely. Today we are asking questions on the Book of Boba Fett, Episode 6, From the Desert Comes a Stranger, which aired first on Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. Certainly millions cried out in abject nerdgasm and were suddenly set to Twitter and Reddit. And if you haven't seen Chapter 6 yet, this is your only warning. Dump out now and catch this at another time. For this amazing episode, I felt compelled to call back co-host and fellow Card Squadron winger Gregory Cass from Ion Cannon. Yes, the real Ion Cannon, mind you. Greg, how are you doing this evening? Uh, good evening. I'm, I'm a little chilly down in my Wampa's Den. Uh, last time we talked, we were in the middle of a two-foot snowstorm, and today we had uh, about eight hours of ice and sleet and just the craziest mix. So uh, let's uh, light some fires and get some hot discourse going in this show. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But you're right, Greg. Uh, Greg and I alone could not contain this awesomeness, so I had to reach out to some of my other Card Squadron members. In no special order, I would like to welcome back not one, but two Daft Prawns. Amy Mulder, Mrs. Daft Prawn on the socials, who filled in for last year for Greg on a Batch for Breakfast episode, was kindly, uh, kind enough to come back on. Amy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing really well, sir. Thank Excellent. you for having me. Excellent. And you heard me right earlier, we have both Mulders this evening. As a member of both the Card Squadron and the CWK Alliance. We have Frank Mulder back on. I know if I brought Amy on, you'd be a guaranteed listener, but I'm not sure if it would have worked the opposite way. So considering she hears you every day, Frank, how's it going tonight? I'm very well. Thank you for asking me along. Hedging your bets was, was probably a good plan, but now you're stuck with two of us. Exactly, exactly. All right. And along with the Mulders, I have a couple of other special guests, another member of the Card Squadron, and I think the CWK Alliance, who came on on Batch for Breakfast last season, Ross Holliban of Fanthatrax, taking a break from all the writing he does for Mark Newbold. And being a producer of the More Than a Mile podcast, Ross, thank you for much, so much for coming on tonight. Yeah, thank you. This is fantastic seeing so many good friends on a Friday night. It's, <laughs> you know, it really a, a high point of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, it, we are in such a beautiful place right now. So thanks for having me and great being here with you all. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I think this discourse started this morning, and then I think it's been going on. So although we're now just recording, uh, this has been going on all day. Um, (laughs) And of course, although I feel bad introducing him last, well, he's already done a podcast on Chapter 6 this week. So I don't feel too (laughs) awful from stealing him away from our friend Dan Zare. I'd like to thank Tom Gross, newsman extraordinaire for Coffee Mm -hmm. with Kenobi, for coming on and rounding out this panel. Oh, well, thank you. What, a, what an honor to be with this group. Man, look at this. Ross, you called it. Just <laughs> sitting down on a Friday night with some friends talking about an awesome week in Star Wars. 
100%. So Greg, thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. And it's kind of funny because this almost feels like an homage to the steam into Star Wars that we didn't get a chance to have mm. last month because of COVID. But it sounds like we're it seems like we're kind of making up for making up for it tonight. Um, any update on, you know, like how it kind of ended in what's going to happen for steam into Star Wars? I hate to put you on the spot. Oh man, yeah, it would have. <laughs> Darn this pandemic. Uh, yeah, so we were supposed to have uh, our in person uh, festival, Steam into Star Wars, in January. And because of the numbers of the, you know, of uh, students that are in our school and in our community and, and just the public uh, becoming ill around the holidays, we postponed it to February. And, um, and then it just didn't settle down in time. And I had a couple of um, couple vendors uh, say they weren't able to do it. And then I just started getting panicky that I don't want children. I don't want kids to get ill. I don't want people to feel they have to attend. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have to attend. And then, you know, all of that. I just didn't feel it didn't feel right to me. Um, Star Wars always feels right to me. But for some reason, bringing 500 people into a space you know, that's pretty tight, didn't feel right. And so, uh, so we, we, uh, pulled the, you know, we, we pulled the shade and we got the, uh, war room started back up for next year. And, um, nice. and we're just keeping our fingers crossed that we can, we can have another star Wars festival of steam into star Wars next year and make it bigger and better than ever before. So, and you've always been great, uh, Ross, you've, You've attended as well. Uh, Frank and Amy, you guys participated by sharing uh, quotes with us the year before. And Greg, I always look forward to any way that you can jump in and, and have a great time and, and with us. And uh, and so, you know, 2023, we're finger, our fingers are crossed for another year of uh, Steam into Star Wars. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, and it's also nice that we still do have, even though we didn't get it in person, we still we do have uh, the trading cards for Steam and the Star Wars. They uh, I think yeah. some of them I have mailed out this week. Some of you, hopefully, if the post office uh, gets stuff there in time, I have laced I have laced the uh, your inboxes with some uh, with some cards. Uh, oh. but yes, but I appreciate you. So I kind. appreciate you asking uh, talking about that. Uh, I thought that was a nice little way we could recap. Thank All you. All right. I appreciate that. So tonight will be a little different than the shows that Greg and I have done in the past. Um, in order to kind of help celebrate Star Wars Podcast Day, which is on Monday, February 7th, this highlights the 23rd anniversary of Jedi Talk, the first Star Wars-related podcast or netcast that premiered on February 7th in 1999. Numerous fellow podcasts are taking part by releasing shows around this time. We'll be putting out some additional content with these fine folks next week. Uh, but... First, back to Boba. So since we have a larger panel, we'll kind of work like this. I'm going to go around so that everybody gets to ask their question or questions, depending upon the time, and then we'll take turns trying to give an answer. If possible, it's very possible that someone's question will be taken by another, and that's where the fun really begins. After a round or two of questions, we will move into the lightning round. Uh, in replacement of this week, the uh, the Greg's list because we have podcasts. We we have Tom Gross and we so it's like we already we'd already say like yes we listen to Coffee with Kenobi, um, which we did. <laughs> and since they already released an episode, which I refused to listen to until I did this, I did not want to I did not want to corrupt uh, tonight's panel. Uh, but we also ha as a extra bonus, 
Uh, I asked other members of the Car Squadron to give their answers to the lightning round, and I've kind of spread that out so that way we hopefully wouldn't take those questions. All right, so I honestly quite don't know how we're going to pull the, all this off, but we're not going to do it, and we're not going to find out unless we get started. So I am going to give the floor, and I'm going to put this on you, Amy. I'm going to start with you. And I want to kind of see what your first question is about episode six that we're all going to try to have to, uh, to tackle tonight. I am winging this, if you want to know Ooh. the truth. Okay. <laughs> I like it already. Um, it was a busy day. So <laughs> I'm going to wing this. And the fact that Greg Cass is here makes me a little um, anxious, but I'm still, I'm going to go for it. Okay. <laughs> And I'm going to start this off with a pointy-headed topic, okay? So my question is, I, my question is, for the people who would say that the Book of Boba Fett is a standalone narrative, mm-hmm. yet we have a character from another narrative that has now been here for two episodes and featured quite prominently, I would like to have those people do a quite top level compare and contrast to Canterbury Tales. <laughs> so I'm just gonna throw some medieval literature in here, okay? <laughs> um, just casually as you do on a Friday night, right? Um, because the Canterbury Tales, I mean, Clearly, we all know what they're about. We've all read them before. We were forced to read to them, read them. But in many ways, they look at my husband. He's like, but I want to I want to see this continue because I did get educators on the program. So some of you guys okay, are screwed. But my, and my, again, remember, I'm winging this. OK, that's fine, that's so fine. if Greg Cass comes in here or if Tom or, you know, Ross comes in and smokes me, I'll be like, fine, whatever. Um, <laughs> but my point is, this is that the every Everybody who speaks, everybody who presents a tale in the Canterbury Tales advances the narrative, right? Mm. Everybody who tells their story, it is interesting. And yes, there have been people who have probably made careers out of the wife of Bath on her own, right? However, I, I believe that as a whole, they are greater than the, than than the individual parts. There's a there's a cliche there that I can't bring to mind, um, and so that's my that's my question is to the people because even though I don't really engage with angry, look at Frank. He's like, oh my god, you wanted her on here, okay? Um, You're not talking about Star Wars Twitter, are you? <laughs> Even though I don't really do that because I just don't have time for it, I can see where people might have the wrong idea about what kind of a character Boba Fett is and the fact that he's going to be like a top-tier, oh my God, supplant everybody in the whole galaxy type character. I see him as he has his part to play, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So that's my question, is in terms of the narrative structure, and if this is too geeky, Greg, don't use it, okay? (laughs) But in terms of the narrative structure, I think that what he has been doing is contributing what he, what his role to play, just like everybody else in the galaxy does. He says he's a simple man trying to make his way. 
He's definitely got a past, right? Yet we can also see that he has, I mean, it wasn't exactly water, but he did get buried and was resurrected. Okay. Mm. So he has a new life. So that's my question. In terms of narrative structure, don't we have precedent for that since ever, ever since people wrote, told stories? Yeah, Greg. <laughs> yeah, this one's a great cast. Okay, sorry. <laughs> No, perfect. Uh, Yeah, you know, I think you're bringing up something really important. And I I do think we don't want to feed the trolls, but there is this predominant narrative where when I have relatives who don't really follow Star Wars check in, they're like, so nobody likes Book of Boba Fett? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Everybody loves it. It's, it's, you know, it's a minority that seems to be really angry about it. And you're right that the controversy is down to the name of it. Um, I'm going to just wholly answer yes to your question, but I'm going to phrase it like this, right? A good anthology, like something like the Canterbury Tales, what it does is it presents, just as you said, different characters and different stories within one bound structure. And there's a reason why those get bound together, right? It's not a pure short story collection. It's something closer to an anthology, right? Where they are there. And, I, I would say for my taste, the the ones that work the best are the anthologies that work on the same themes. And as I look at The Mandalorian season one, two, and now uh, Book of Boba Fett, I think there are a lot of shared themes. Um, and to me, you're right, Boba's carrying his piece of that. And if the theme is something about what it means to be in a tribe, what it means to be in a family, I think this is as tied into the Mandalorian and as and and yet as different as as it should be, right? A new way to think about those themes and a new way to to understand them. And um I I hope that eventually that means everybody gets their own way into this kind of master universe uh storytelling going on. Um and that people can appreciate like, oh, okay, it's it's not my action figure I played with when I was little. It's a new Boba who has something to learn about. Because to me, and, and I'll close with this, when he was alone in that Sarlacc pit, he realized how alone he was. Mm. And from that moment forward, he said, you know, if at the end all I had was a stack of credits and some account somewhere, that's that's not the life I want. And he's building something new and different. And that really sounds like uh, Din Djarin to me as well. So you're dead on. I love the medieval literature connection. Even though I'm an American literature scholar and I'm just kind of faking oh. it. But that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I love it, Greg. Like it is, there's so much of that. And... Without going in depth on anything, Canterbury Tales is so important for where we are as a country right now. You know, whatever part of the world you're looking at, there's a lot of stuff going on. So being able to reflect on these stories, on these characters and their foibles of, oh, we need to pay attention because this person's saying this, but doing this. And there's there's too much of that. So it's all a part of critical thinking. But I think to dumb it down in the way that I can do so well, I think typically is we're looking at fast food versus like a, a a multi-course meal from a world famous chef. And right now this is being set up as courses 
and one leads to the other, even if they're completely different ingredients, if they're different flavors, but it, it's all to give you a journey as opposed to fast food is just, I need something to eat so my stomach doesn't growl right now. It's It may not be super nutritious, but it, it's going to trick me into thinking I'm full. So I, I think that is the Canterbury Tales of fast food right now. <laughs> wow, I, I don't know that I can follow up an analogy <laughs> like that. Fast food, multi-course meals, wow. Um, you know, I... This is it's really important. This is really important discourse of not just Star Wars, but just of literature in general. Um, you know, I look at this and and I, there's an, there's an, an intent to the name of this of this show. The the name mm-hmm. of the show is not Boba Fett or the Boba Fett or the Bounty Hunter. The name of the show is Book of Boba Fett. And I don't know about anybody else, but I know most books that I read have multiple characters in them and I might read a chapter about uh, that is that that is about a character who is not you know quote-unquote the protagonist of the story and I feel that that's really what we're we're experiencing here in storytelling of the book of Boba Fett is is you know we're, we're looking at a side character who's in, and who would ever call the Mandalorian a side character but in the book of Boba Fett he's a side character that's going to answer a question in the book and so i think patience one you know <laughs> let's <laughs> let's finish the book before we make judgment you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna throw a book in the trash because chapter four had nothing to do with my protagonist or my antagonist even is in there. you know i'm not gonna throw the book to the to the wind and so i i don't know that i'm necessarily answering your question because i don't I, quite frankly i i also I'm more of an American literature person. I, <laughs> that's what I taught in the past. Didn't study uh, Canterbury Tales. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but uh, you talk but so, about Faulkner, I'll be lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, but I, you know, that's that's where I come from with this. Is is this? There's a larger story here, and, and as a librarian, and when we talk about you know people, I mean, what's been in the news in my world is you know people wanting to throw out the book Mouse because of mm-hmm. an image or because of um, of language and if you if you if you want to just go into a book and pick things out because of a word or an image or a a character then I, I don't I don't know how to help you mm-hmm. but if you want to experience the entire story and then pull out and say boy how did that word how did that image how did this character play into the larger story now we've got a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, that would be my response to your question. It's it's a good, important question you ask there. Frank, I'm I'm, I'm kind of curious on on your opinion on this, whereas, you know, we're finding Boba Fett as a role player in his own series, you know, in kind of light of what uh, Amy and um, the amazing higher, smarter host is, is my is my <laughs> modus operandi. Um, but I, I do like that they are taking this you know, this risk of telling it the story this way, how is it kind of coming to you? And are you seeing what, what uh, some of the others are? Oh, I'm enjoying it very much for, for it to bring points from so many threads to one place. And I have no doubt that they're all going to spread out again at some point, but this feels like a focusing. 
like this is a focal point for everything to springboard out again because what we've been most familiar with for so many years has been the movies mm-hmm. and beyond that the books and such and this is tying so many of those things up what we're most familiar with some things we're not so familiar with like amy was talking about the growth of boba fett one of the things that people seem to be challenged by so much right now is he's not just going around killing everything but we've been recently re-watching the clone wars and one of the arcs as you leave season two into season three is you see boba being made aware of the path he's on isn't really working for him he's even encountering characters that are saying hey your dad that clearly he had great admiration and fondness for who was killed was an honorable man we saw that recently when boba was told to kill a character and it was clear to him this isn't right i I may have been angry about a specific thing that happened by a specific person once upon a time but i can't lash out at everybody now these things aren't their fault and then he comes up to hondo anaka and hondo says you know i think he's introduced as Django's son and he says i knew your father he was an honorable man and I think we've seen that again, like with some of the flashbacks in the series of Boba watching Django fly off uh, from Camino. It seems again and again and again he gets connected or is close to somebody and they go away. Sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. In this instance, and in what we're seeing here is they're not coming back. The Tuscans that he become so, so fond of was greeted into their tribe by were killed. It's just loss, loss, loss. So so for me, I think we're seeing a focal point that's just going to spread back out. And to me, the Boba that's emerging now is far greater to me as a character than what had been before. And I admittedly, this is a cool, mysterious bounty hunter, but now he's so much more. And, and mm-hmm. I think I even tweeted earlier this week, some of the best Star Wars is when you've got to work for it. If, if there's something you've got to pay attention, you've got to engage your brain a little bit, and then you'll get what's really what's really being told to you, especially when you have creative talents like Filoni, like Favreau, exactly. who know the microscopic details that we, we, we think we do, we may do, probably don't. But but that's where I'm at with this. This, this is a growth of a character, uh, a, a focusing point for these stories, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I I love the fact you bring up uh, the Clone Wars, Frank. And I, as you know, Tom, also, I'll also admit, um, I did not read the Canterbury Tales. I was forced to read The Pathfinder by James Fenimore Cooper. And I'm going to go on record by saying I hated that book. I hated that book so much uh, because it's poorly written. Uh, yes, he's published, but it was poorly written. But no, I, I when you look at the Clone Wars as a series, that was not really one. You know, it was a narrative, but they went off. They went off several times and did stories that had nothing to do with some of the main characters yet some of those ones you can kind of go back to and i think there was there were stories that they wanted to tell that 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 did serve the overall you know vision of the clone wars and it gave us a much larger world and i think especially in this I think you saw, you know, pure Star Wars. Like, here's a story, like, you know, when when Cad Bane is the sixth reveal in this story, and they've got all these little pieces, and some of these connective tissues are coming together, and you're seeing recurring characters, you're like, oh my god, there's this person, this person, that, that, that. You know, then, and uh, we have Cad Bane back on screen. Um, 
And, and I will say for a friend of mine, he was like, he looked like he was wearing a little sunscreen, a little, little, little lighter than the Cad Bane that we've seen in there. But that's just something I just, I like what they're doing. Oh, he's going in. Ross is going in for another round. Yep. This is, it's getting deep. Um, I, I like what they're doing. And I, I think, and, and I remember Tom and you and Dan were talking about this. I think waiting until this series is done to really catch the idea of what they're doing. Cause I think a lot of folks still sort of think that, that, you know, an episode comes on, then they go back and make the next one based on the reactions of everybody. Like, no, all this stuff was made and thought about. And these folks are so far ahead. You know, I think, yeah, I kind of equate it to a chess game. I think Filoni and company, when they're on their best, they're five or six moves ahead of us. Whereas like a lot of times I think fans like us, we may be one, one move ahead. And you know you're not going to win at chess if you're only just reacting to the move or you're doing that. You've got to think of a larger story. And as long as they're doing that, I, I think that a lot of this will be seen uh, in the long run. Great, great first question, Amy. And I think just to give Frank a little bit of... Um, little bit of revenge here. I'm going to let him pose the very next question, um, although I will strike Canterbury Tales from that. You cannot bring up a Canterbury Tales question in this next one. Well, I promise I will not bring up Canterbury Tales. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I do have a, a, one particular question, uh, and like with so many things that Book of Boba Fett, that batch that you were speaking about before during that series, have my brain ticking over in like sixth gear the one with this was about uh it goes back to bad batch when we saw fennec shand and cad bane both with omega in their sights um and of course ultimately in the episode bounty loss neither of them acquired the the uh omega but they both know about her now, we're seeing right now Cad Bane apparently trying to make these little cracks, little chinks in Boba's reputation that he's trying to build up as being more respectable. In telling Cobb Vanth, you know, he's a cold-blooded killer. He worked for the Empire. And it just feels to me like it's a hatchet job. Now, he also has that history with Fennec. Now, this is where it's very much speculation. And this one asked the question, what do you gentlemen think? And what does Amy think? Is, do we think potentially that um, Cad has more knowledge of Boba's current enterprise mm -hmm. and his relationship with Fennec as it stands? Because now it seems a lot of main players are knowing very important details to other characters that they are completely aware of. So should Boba become aware of Omega, we're assuming he doesn't have any awareness of her, or how far the cloning process went beyond the clones. So could there be a point we reach where these revelations are brought out in such a way that fractures significantly the relationships that are still new but very important to what Boba's wanting to create Ooh. on Tatooine. So, Greg, I, if I read him correctly, does does Cad really fracture Boba's, you know, Boba's collective with information? Hmm. Mm. Uh, something I hadn't really thought about. So, excellent. Being challenged in by both Daft Prawns in one evening is just the <laughs> highlight of my week by far. Uh, so, um, 
one thing I'm, I'm, I I do want to just say in general, I try not to crib from other people, but I so, I listen to so many podcasts. I, I apologize if I ever steal ideas without crediting them. But one of the ongoing theories of uh, the Ringerverse podcast with uh, Joanna Robinson, formerly of Vanity Fair, now of uh, the Ringer, um, she is convinced Fennec is about to turn like at any moment. Um, and I have not ever bought into that theory myself. But I will say in the early episodes especially, there was an ongoing theme about Boba Fett doesn't know what's going on. He approached everything with naivete, right? Mm -hmm. um, he is kind of embarrassed in um, with um, uh, Garza uh, in that the twins had already taken everything over and he had no clue and until the drums started beating and the twins showed up. Um, and then when the twins, uh, you know, uh, come back and apologize and give their gift. He does, he has no idea the pikes are coming, even though everybody else seems to. Um, so when you're describing how there are a lot of other people around him that suddenly know a lot more than him, that's what comes to mind that we've seen over and over again, that he's not playing this correctly. Uh, I won't attempt a food or chess metaphor, but I will say I think some of the frustration around Boba is that people imagine him to be the smartest and, you know, just the top dog in every every way. Um, and I don't think they're going to make him that because we have that waiting in the wings somewhere with Grand Admiral Thrawn, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's the Sherlock of this universe and, and can see this all and do all those things. So I think... I really like what you're saying that the end result may just be that this all is built on a faulty foundation. And the fact that everybody knows their own little piece um, really threatens him. And I think we've seen information is power in this corner of the Star Wars universe. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to mull over this a, a lot while I listen to these other answers. <laughs> all right. Who wants to who wants to take another crack at this? Ross, Tom? I'll take a dive. <laughs> it's probably gonna be shallow water but I'll, I'll give it a whirl so i look at it and i and i think look one thing we know about boba fett is he's a survivor okay and so i said in this in the, in the most recent episode of coffee with kenobi breaking down episode six i just made a side comment at the end that when we saw the 30 seconds that we saw boba fett which seems to be his his comfortable his comfort level <laughs> You know, from Empire to Jedi to now his, you know, these two. And I say that in jest. I'm not trying to make any sort of statement. <laughs> Just, you know, so so we see him for 30 seconds in episode six. When when we saw him standing there as Fennec Shan is breaking things down and his gang is sitting, is standing across from him. And you've got Chrysanthemum and you've got the Mandalore off to the side. I was looking and I don't, you know. Who knows? Is it intentional? I would hope I would hope so in some ways, because these guys are top notch actors and Tamara Morrison is, is fabulous. I was looking at him thinking, Boba Fett seems overwhelmed. Mm. Like and we've talked earlier and I've, I brought up earlier in other breakdown shows about how I feel like Boba Fett does have an inferiority complex because even though he is, you know, the Tuscans teach him to be a master warrior and he is, you know, he's hung out with the likes of Darth Vader. I mean, come on, let's, you know, you don't <laughs> get any 
any more pinnacle than hanging out with Darth Vader and being hired by him and then succeeding in your task. So he's been at the top of his game two different times now, once in Rebirth and once in his previous life. But he still is like, I can't be Boba Fett without my armor. I can't, you know, all these things. And so, I don't know if I'm getting to the question. So, I guess, I guess where I'm, where to come full circle to where I started is, yes, I think Boba Fett's out of his element trying to lead this war. I think Boba Fett's out of his element in um, wanting to, you know, replace Jabba the Hutt in a new way. Although that's a new purpose for him. You know, he's not the bounty hunter anymore. He has a new purpose in life that he learned through the Tuscans and through surviving all, you know, all his entire life. And he and he has this he's building a culture. And we all know when you try to build a culture in a workplace or in a, you know, in a in a social media storm, when you try to build a culture, it's a dangerous place. And that's where he is right now. And so. I think he I think while he's he may not be the best man for the job at the moment, I think being a survivor puts him in a position to where whatever Cad Bane throws at him, whatever realization he comes to that he has a sister clone, what I think whatever gets thrown at him will seem hopeless. But let's not forget that the dude is a survivor. He knows how to put his people in place. I mean He's built, I don't want to say a perfect army, because I still feel like the pikes would overwhelm what he has now. But, you know, the man he's got the Mandalorian on his side. Mandalorian's got a lot of friends. Kersantan also has some friends that we know about. Um, not not saying anything, just, you know, everybody, had, he by building something with respect, respect comes back to you. At least that's me being a Cub fan and all that kind of thing. But, you know, there's, you know, so there's some of that. So I don't know. I, I kind of talked in a circle there. But that I, I think the idea here is Boba Fett as a survivor. And, Tom, I think building off of that, how often through tragedy do people go back to something familiar? So mm -hmm. he's just been through a lot. He just he finally found a family and felt belonging and then felt like he betrayed them by taking an older approach to it. Mm. So now it's just like, you know, every path that he takes, like, I need my armor to be me because that's familiar. He He's looking for security blankets. And I think he's gotten to the point where he's, he's like, do I really want this? Uh, you know, mm. I'm already imagining him handing the throne to Fennec because Fennec is so wonderful in this role right now where maybe it's not a takeover type thing, mm -hmm. but it's, you know what? You're better at this than I am. And now that Fennec and Cad are in this, who's going to bring up Omega first? And when is that going to be his, <laughs> when does mm -hmm. that become his journey? You know, it's all about found family this is like found family to another degree. Like it is literally family that he didn't know he had. So there's that opportunity. He was unfulfilled after eradicating the biker gang. You know, he, there was no emotion. He was just like, oh, I need to do this. Yeah. Like that was mm -hmm. the old Boba Fett. This is a new evolved character. And people want the swashbuckling bounty hunter that they expected from early on. Read the read the Bounty Hunter Star Wars comics if you want that because he's fantastic in that. <laughs> Great. 
and and it's so great there. This is someone new who's been through a lot more right now, and I, I think the depth that they're giving the character is is genius, and it is a much longer play before we we know his end game. And what's interesting, and I'll I'll, I'll turn this to you, Amy, when when we think of Cad Bane, when we think of you know of the the what he thinks he has right that line from one of the Tom Clancy movies. What do you think you have? It, it's true. He might have some information that might bring um, that might make Boba's you know alliance like a house of cards. But how you know what do you think on this? Do you think that this comes all apart? Is this just a there's no honor among thieves and it just fractures? Uh, that is that going to be the high? Is that going to be a high point in this where? There's going to be a, some tension, and all of a sudden, it gets broken with Cad coming in and just saying, "Boom, you know, hey, we've got this," and all of a sudden, it falls apart. Where do you kind of fall on how strong you know Boba and this group is, and can they hold it together? And would some information like this just fracture it? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I would go back to two things. First of all, the dinner where he asked the people not to participate, and then. You know, he said, well, if you're going to, if you won't join them, at least, I'm sorry, I always forget the details. What? He just wants to stay neutral. Stay neutral, mm -hmm. right? He just says, okay, <sighs> sorry, we have a visitor here. Um, just, <laughs> you know, like like DJ in The Last Jedi, don't join, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of like, meh, okay, just don't be against me, okay? Mm -hmm. if that's the way I, that's the way I read that. The other thing I go back to is that, and you, 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 you people that know these details far better than I do, that maneuver with the ship, with the fire spray, fire spray, whatever it's called, mm -hmm. when he was so absolutely determined to go back and get his armor out of the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. I mean, sure, it's cool, and it's nice armor, and it's Beskar, so it's, it's, it's useful, but really, a maneuver like that with the capsule or the thing face down into the thing, I mean, that was almost like a sort of like a death move. I kind of think he rolls the dice and let him, lets things play out the way they will. You know, I, I do wonder if he's not as much controlling things as he is just sort of saying, okay. I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna take this chance. If it doesn't work out, I will survive. I've survived mm. worse than this. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I like I like your point, Frank. That when you say there are these alliances that may or may not hold, I'm not sure how much he really cares. I do agree. I do believe that he has changed from the old days of a bounty hunter, but a bounty hunter really works for the highest bidder. It's it's quite mercenary in that respect. I'm not sure he has a highly developed sense of loyalty. And again, if I'm on dangerous ground here, please tell me. <laughs> I'm gonna be. A, I'm gonna make a confession. Bob is not my favorite character. Okay, so I've not spent a lot of time thinking about him. So, sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's tough because I think going back to some of our original comments of we're not really quite sure where this is going, and you are taking you are taking a a, a bit player. 
I mean, let's be honest, he was a bit player. You're putting him in, you know, a starring role. And then people wonder why, you know, how come it's not all about him. But I think, like, as we go back to your earlier comment, he has this part to play. And as much as we have seen him grow, we're still seeing him, you know, hold some cards to the vest. So we don't really know how it plays out. I think all I really want to know is that do I get another season to let this play out? Um, But you're right. I, I, there's a lot that they're going to have to pack in this last episode (laughs) or not. I mean, they seem very confident that they're going to do whatever they want to do, which is what I kind of like about it. And so, yeah, I would really like to see an information bomb get dropped because I think uh, to, to Frank's point, I want to see Omega in there somewhere. And I'm like, you know, do I want it sooner rather than later? But once again, I go back to the chess analogy. These guys are two or three moves ahead of me, and I'm just I'm content just to stand on the sidelines. Um, great, great question, Frank. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of pressure off of uh, Greg Cass. Instead of reacting, I'm going to turn and let him ask the question th- this particular round, and then see. And then we're all going to have to uh, we're all going to have to uh, take a, tr- a shot at it. Uh, so this question is inspired by my very good friend, Carla Claire, who hosts the Wampas Lair and has had nice. me on a few times. Um, and he is the best kind of Star Wars friend in that um, we both love Star Wars more than anything. And we both are just ready to fight about it all the time <laughs> with each other. And we stay friends and we don't, you know, uh, insult each other's mothers or anything like that. We just uh, debate it. So uh, here's uh, the inspired question is is focusing on Luke Skywalker. And, uh, you know, I'm on uh, let's let's not say there are sides in general, but if there were sides, I'm on the pro last Jedi side of things when it comes to Luke Skywalker. I think that that is the best rendering of this character we've gotten. Um, And I I just love it. So I'm going to confess that Um, where the question comes in is. Why is Luke uh, where he is in this episode? Mm. And in particular, Luke is very much trying to rebuild the Jedi Order exactly as it was before. And I'm okay with that. And I'm interpreting it a certain few ways. And my very good friend Carl, like I said, uh, found it to be utmost arrogance um, and really disliked it and didn't, you know threaten anybody or say it was you know not my luke skywalker or anything like that but really had a problem with this character he loves making what we all would interpret as uh very serious mistakes Mm. on rebuild that um and i will say as much as i love luke skywalker i think the very last moment i don't think was a great luke moment in terms of you know he was failing in my opinion and in that moment right the way he was demanding uh grogu make this choice so i think the question comes down to uh how did you feel about luke in this episode and what do you make of the fact he seems to be following the uh the prequel rules of jedi Ooh, tom tom gross i i see the hand on the chin uh (laughs) i want you to take the first crack at this one absolutely um, the first thing that crosses my mind, it, and you know, I've, 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 I haven't pondered this extensively, but I definitely have thought about it. And we, we, we follow what we know. And one thing that I know about Luke Skywalker is he's never been, he's never been the poster child of confidence. And so I feel like, you know, in, when he has that conversation with Ahsoka, 
when Grogu is hopping along the rocks and, you know, destroys the probe, uh, training probe, or, or I forget what it's called, but Ahsoka comes in and he says, and he essentially says, it's not a quote, but he essentially says, am I doing the right thing? At least that's how I interpreted that conversation is, is, you know, I don't know that his heart is in it, but, you know, and, and it's more like a, his whole, and, and I, I props to Dan Zare on this one because he called this, he called this shot and he says it's almost like he's trying to sell Grogu on the idea of becoming a Jedi and and learning the ways of the force. That may not be a direct quote or that may not be exactly what Dan intended, but that's the interpretation I took from what he said. And I think he's spot on with that one because why why is Luke following, you know, trying to follow, you, you yeah. know, a way that's a way that has failed in the past? He doesn't know any of it. He doesn't know any difference. And he's not the kind of person that has confidence in, in my eyes. He doesn't have the confidence to say, I think I can do it better. And so that's why he's rebuilding a school. And yeah, the, the ending, that is, that's a horrible Luke Walker <laughs> moment. I mean, as an educator, I mean, would you rather go to the dean or would you rather sit in the hall and, and put the dunce hat on? I mean, which choice, which, what student would make a wise choice on either one of those? They're both, you know, they're both losing propositions in my mind. You know, give up being a Jedi, give up being a Mandalore, both things that you love. Um, so I don't know. I hope there's there you know star wars is built around hope so my my hope is is that there's some creative answer that a very wise grogu remembers from a very wise yoda on how to how to gracefully you know navigate your way through a difficult situation like this because i don't know how we get out of this i've i've had some friends have some really creative ideas but at the same time, I look and I go, ah, that just doesn't seem, doesn't seem logical. But no, I, I think, I think my answer to your question is Luke is just building on what he knows because he doesn't have the confidence to to grow from there, or to to build to build something, a new Jedi Order, I suppose. Ross, what do you think? Do you think uh, we see Yoda in the Last Jedi proven right very early? Um, uh, or do you think the, uh, do you think he's been portrayed correctly? No, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it is more correctly. I, I think Luke in the position that he, that Luke is in is, I'm not a parent, but as a, as an educator or as a mentor, I always want to give people things that I haven't had or how can I set them up for success? So Luke didn't get this specialized training. He had to kind of, you know, rig things together. Like, hey, I got a little time on Dagobah. I got a little time mm. with Ben mm -hmm. as a force ghost. I got, he hasn't had formal training on anything, you know? And so is this imposter syndrome coming through for him of just like, oh, I didn't get grades. I didn't get this or that. You know, so is he working through that as an individual? And that's where he does. He turns to Ahsoka, who has such gorgeous confidence mm -hmm. as portrayed by Rosario Dawson in this and just, hey, you know what? You've got this. Trust what you're doing. You know, 
there may not just because he's proposing this dilemma to Grogu. Maybe there's a right answer for him where Grogu gets both. But it is, hey, you chose this. This is the way you should be thinking. But here's this because it's going to protect you as well. You know, there's that possibility in it. I mean, this can go so many ways. And that's where it's so well written. And so, you know, Filoni and his evolution as a director during the short amount of time that he's been able to do it with live action is just. It's so exciting, and it's so exciting with the role he has at Lucasfilm now, and what more can come of it. So I'm there for all of it, and I think both of these two episodes have a huge impact on Boba Fett as well still. So I think we're going in the right direction everywhere, and I'm definitely not someone who's on any social media complaining about <laughs> anything. It's just like whatever color this this Kool-Aid is from those guys, I'm drinking it and probably dumping exactly. it. Over exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <So>. Amen. <laughs> Amy, what's uh Amy, what's your take? I typically see things in many, many, many shades of gray. This particular issue, specific to the question that Greg asked, I see this one quite black and white. I mm. see all of this, all of Luke's behavior in this episode as a function of his being a young person. Mm. Um, I think that his lack of confidence may, sim may be the result of his not having had just the years on, I started to say on the planet, but uh, the years of life to give to give him that school of hard knocks type of learning i i think that the fact that he doesn't I mean, yes the way he's trying to rebuild that the jedi temple even though there has been failure in the past but was it all failure no it was mostly success so let's focus on that right because if i try hard enough i can make it happen also think that his question to Grogu at the end, the decision that he's trying to force Grogu to make is a function of his being a young person as well. Because don't, don't we understand that Grogu is quite young, almost a baby? I mean, I realize that we all call him baby Yoda, but isn't he <laughs> quite young? I mean, would we, and I realize he's a Jedi and he's different and so forth, but would, does Grogu, He's assuming that Grogu has the capacity to make the decision between the saber and the um, armor. That, to me, also seems something that someone young would make that assumption. Okay, mm. Someone with a few more years might think to themselves, I need to give them a little more guidance before I ask them to make this decision. Mm. So, so that's my take on that. Strong. All right, Frank, you're bringing up the rear on this one. What's your take? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've loved everybody's answers to Greg's questions so far. They've all been wonderful. Not having a heads up on what the question was, my Star Wars brain starts to start rifling through the files. And my first thought is, um, it's kind of a question, actually. We don't know when Luke got hold of the Jedi texts, which were a manual. And we've all used manuals, whether it be to build something or an instruction manual at work in a workplace. 
And as we go through it, we work out things don't work quite as intended. So maybe he's working from a blueprint. Like like a couple of people here have said, a couple of you have said, is that he's not had this long experience of the Jedi. He doesn't have a great knowledge of the history of the Jedi. By the time we see him in TLJ, he's become very aware of these tiny instances that had massive ramifications through the galaxy. And that by that point, he says, this doesn't work. And just like Amy's saying, and, and a couple of you have as well, is he's at a point in his life where he doesn't know that yet. And if, and let's make an assumption, if we assume he has those manuals, which is what they essentially are, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. Even down to building the Jedi Temple, it's almost brick for brick what we see on Actu. I never know how to pronounce that, but Actu. Even those are the same. Every last thing seems to be precisely what happened before. And as Greg Cass was saying, we're big fans of the, of the Last Jedi in this house. And by that age, by that level of experience, he realizes this just isn't the way that's going to work well. And it is time, he says, for the Jedi to end. But maybe he's just saying, maybe it's time to reinvent this. Mm. The Force will always be mm -hmm. there. There'll always be people who are sensitive to the Force. This just didn't work. And I think maybe that influences where he is when we see him training Grogu on Mystery Planet. No, I, I agree. And I, I liked the representation of Luke here because you see him on the one hand, you see him, you know, doing all the moves, swinging a lightsaber, very confident in his abilities. But, you know, we clearly know how a lot of this ends. And I thought adding a little bit of confusion and not necessarily he was saying, hey, look, it seems like I'm helping him to remember than teaching him. And even going back to Ahsoka, am I doing this right? And she's like, trust your instincts. And that's when you go, oh, come on, Ahsoka, you could do a little better than that. Um, but yeah, to give to give Grogu those those choices, um, that, that just show, and I, I love Amy's comment where a younger person might see this as more of a black and white, like, well, clearly this is the way you should do it one way or the other. But, you know, a few years on, you go, nah, it's not exactly how the world should be seen. And although we don't get to see gray Jedi, um, this is a case where you, you can make a case for it. But I, I, I do think that, um, the interpretation of, Luke, where where he's at at this point in the timeline was really spot on. I think that, you know, it was very subtle and uh, you really did see the seeds of this being sown later on. Once again, you know, Yoda's just getting more material to work with later on uh, for his appearance in The Last Jedi. Uh, great, great question. I just I want to jump in with one last thought answering my own question like a real academic does. Um, so uh, uh, I do one question I have related to that is I want to know if this is before or after Leia, because if he started with Leia training Leia on the scenes we see in Rise of Skywalker, then he lost her because she was attached to her child right she's we he explains that she walked away because she realized at the end of her training she would lose her child um and she wasn't prepared for that um so to me that might be another data point he's lost somebody who was too attached to the world and couldn't make the commitment to the jedi and so maybe that just means i don't want to do this all again to have somebody walk away 
to go be with the Mandalorian at the last minute. So, but that's a real question mark to me. I don't know if anybody else has pieced together the timeline or if we all need to go tweet Pablo now. <laughs> no, I I do think that Leia has come before this because in my interpretation of the rise of Skywalker, you know, she, you know, she was pregnant, but I don't think she'd had Ben yet. I think because her vision was she was going to, you know, her child would all right, that's where I kind of lost it. But I do think that she's already happened, but it's been years from now because I think we all spent the episode looking around going, is Ben somewhere out? Is he playing with a rock somewhere? Playing, you know, playing with the force. But that, my take is that she, she's kind of come and gone, and this is his first sort of official, like, you know, brick-and-mortar schoolhouse. I don't know. Anybody else? I'm just thinking about uh, the, the, the timeline as well. The, the only thing that pops to mind is I recently listened to the audiobook Bloodline, Mm. And, oh, and, in, oh, oh, oh. and and I'm just curious, I don't remember off the top of my head how far that is after Empire, but we do get Ben very young in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that helps you out at all in where this might sit along this path. It definitely feels like this is, uh, you know, what we're seeing in The Mandalorian, uh, sorry, in, um, in the book Boba Fett, is before Ben is born. So it's mm. quite possible that, that, like you say, she's come and gone. And, of course, there was always Han in the mix there as well. So she always had that attachment to Han as well and, and vice versa. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of things to consider right there. Mm. I guess I've I guess I've I haven't I haven't thought about this so I could easily be persuaded one way or another. But I guess I assume my assumption was that this happens prior to the training with Leia and I have no backing on that other than my assumption after Jedi is she gallivants across the galaxy with Han Solo and builds that relationship and that loving relationship with him um, before they sort of have whatever it is disagreements you know they're, they they find their own paths or whatever so I guess I thought just in my mind I, I placed it I placed this before the like uh, before that training of Leia, but I again, I could be way off base on that. What do you think, Ross? Yeah, I I haven't thought much about it. I, I love the fact that Bloodlines got brought into that because that may be the very best <laughs> Star Wars book that there is. <laughs> with with the biggest, I, I don't know that I've read books before where I stood up and was like, oh my god. <laughs> the same way as a certain moment in that book um so that i mean i i think that's that's very important and i think they i think they purposely keep the planet mysterious and the timeline mm. mysterious for all of this right now yeah because you're kind of guessing but it i mean one way or the other you would think luke would have more confidence if he's already taught leia because he's been through that and she's earned it. But at the same time, there's that catch 22 of, oh, I went through all this training and, oh, you know, it's not for me. I, I know I know, I passed it, but I'm not going to be a Jedi. So, yeah, I, I, I do not have an answer and I'm not committing to one here. <laughs> oh, this is going to be study coming up to it oh. like. There's going to be some Wikipedia and some send your comments to... To, to get this worked out, I think. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, Mr. Gross, I'm going to let you go back at it. It is your turn. I want you to come up with a question oh. for us to either uh, get get the uh, the internet mad at us um, or oh. see if we can haggle out and uh, workshop this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, Amy, I'm with you. I'm I'm shooting from the hip here because I it was a busy day. <laughs> <laughs> any Friday in education. I mean, come on. <laughs> I guess in any in any industry. But okay, so here's here. I'll tell you where my mind has been on this series, and I've talked a lot about it on Coffee with Kenobi. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like some help fleshing it out. And so I may not have a real specific question other than what do you guys think? But here's, here's where I'm coming from. We've watched my, my favorite episode up to episode five was episode two, where we see him, we see Boba Fett become a part of the Tusken Raider culture. And it just, I mean, I just, that, that episode touched me so much his his seemingly fondness and appreciation of a child, his his way of acclimating into this what we what we knew up until this point as a very dangerous culture. However, however, if you recall in Celebration podcast stage, I mentioned in Phantom Menace, <laughs> and Frank, you're shaking your head because you read this too, and I, I assume all of us have. That moment where the Tusken Raiders, or at least the wounded one, takes takes mercy on Anakin and and you know recognizes that Anakin helped him and all that. Anyway, so I just had to throw that in there. So <clears throat> then, so we get that we get that strong sense of culture and tribal belongingness and all of this that that builds and creates a new character of Boba Fett, and I believe it's where he comes up with this concept of. I, you know, job led by fear. I'm going to, I'm going to lead by respect. And I think, I believe he learned that respect from the Tuscan Raiders. Okay. So set that a culture aside. Now let's go to the dilemma that we just discussed from Greg's question of which, which do you choose, Grogu? Do you choose the way of the Jedi? Sacrifice, giving up, uh, you know, possessions, giving up uh, yourself to the force? Or do you choose this is the way loyalty solidarity togetherness of the of the mandalore and so it just got me thinking how important and i don't know that i've ever felt this strongly about what i'm about to say in star wars across the board and that is how important culture is in the galaxy and we've got three three perfect examples of very established cultures and we're watching we're witnessing right before our eyes boba fett attempting to create a new sort of culture we know the bounty hunters have a law they have what does grief karga call it um a code i suppose they have a code but still a pistol to the head is still part of that code that's not going. That's not the new Boba Fett's way. I don't think. I mean, we haven't seen it yet. Everyone's saying, "Oh, he's gone soft. He's gone soft." Even Fennec Shan says that to him. But I think this new culture that Boba Fett is trying to create is is something brand new that he's learned. So 
I don't know. I don't know what question exactly to ask other than what are your reactions to my feelings about how important culture is, is playing a role in the book of Boba Fett and what does that mean going forward uh, in in Star Wars lore? Oh, I Ross, really... I'm gonna, I, Ross, have you been chosen first? I'm going I'm to take your job, Greg, here, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point at someone. Ross, have uh, you answered a question first? I am so happy you did that. Uh, I really want to <laughs> hear. I really want to hear someone other than me take that first, and I'm going to let Ross take this. <laughs> Throw you under I mean, the bus. I, there you go, Ross. I love that, Tom, and I, I think so much of what has happened, especially in this series, has has been about that, and it, and it it goes back to the found family uh, from earlier, which is the constant theme and something that you know even if you read the read the the George Lucas biography, you know it it talks about that. So like it, it's so deep rooted. Um, something about some of the things that you were talking about, and it immediately made me write down. And maybe they're gone. I didn't see the Tuscan warrior or the youngest child when the carnage was was being taken care of by Boba Fett. Um, there's also a, an alliance between the Tuscans and Cobb Vanth. So now that he needs to bring people into play, there's so much that can happen here. And this is like... This is like speculation 101. If this was on CWK, I wouldn't say it because the red alarms would be going off. Um, but you have a marshal that wants the armor back so that he feels like he can lead his people. You potentially have a leader who wants who who may want to walk away from this because they don't want to be a crime lord like they thought they wanted to. And there's a chance at restarting a family should some Tuscans that were very close to him show up with other ones coming in, all that speculation. That may be 98% wrong, but just as we're talking right now, that's the beauty of, oh my God, when is my alarm going to go off on Wednesday morning so I can find out what's next? Because if one of these things happens, I'm going to be jumping. Like my vertical is only what Grogu's was before the the thing shot at him, but I'll be jumping like that to celebrate what's going on. You know what it reminds me of? I'll take I'll, I'll go out of turn because I'm going to turn this back on Tom, who does a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, and that 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 culture aspect was something I think about and I struggle with in trying to get back into this game. Where in growing up, when we were first taught D and D, when you first got into it, it was pretty much a hack and slash. And there was not a lot more to it than what you brought to the table. But as the editions got going, and you remember, I think it was second edition where they brought in all this huge map and all the backstories about all the different regions. And if you were from this, you were doing this, you know, you would be this way if you, you know, they were basically kind of world building D&D. And I remember kind of struggling with that bit because on the one hand, it was interesting that I was getting so much more, you know, I was getting so much more of a world that I could play in and I could understand my character a lot better and do all this. But on the other hand, I kind of missed, you know, you roll up a character, you go in there, you, you mark, you chart this out on, on graph paper. You don't have all the fancy building things like that. And it's whatever I came to the table with and we just get it done. And I still don't know if I've ever really reconciled 
what I really want my D&D to be. And I think, you know, to your question, when we see this culture and we see so much more being brought into it, and now you think about, you know, the sand people, how much more dimensions there are in them, and we get so much more of that, you know, can we go back and enjoy A New Hope where they basically just beat the crap out of Luke? And you're going, oh, that's great. Or in The Phantom Menace where they just sit there and all, the, all they are is reduced to, you know, taking pot shots at pod racers. So I don't really know, I necessarily know if I have an answer to that, whether I, I do enjoy the culture, I like it expanding, but there is that still, that but part of me that still didn't mind the, the basics of it, that didn't mind the fact that Boba got, you know, minutes of screen time and, and just that, and that's all it was. Now, you know, now we're getting so much more, but I don't really know if I, if I am, you know, if I am fully 100% cool with it or not, or is there still that part of me that would just goes, I'm good, just, just give me the basic stuff. I don't know, um... You know, it, that's just something that was in my head. I don't know, Frank or Amy, does that something kind of relate to you as far as like, are we getting this huge culture dump or is it, was it better when it was just pretty much cut and dry? First of all, Tom, that's a, you have a paper, you have an essay in that question. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, clearly you need to be published on that. Um, you know, my, 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 it raises a couple of questions with me. First of all, you know, is culture, is it nature or nurture, right? And I mean, obviously this is rhetorical because is it how you were raised and you, you know, find another way? Is it how you were raised, you decide to go into another way and then you leave that? But my, my, my thinking is, my thought about this is, is that we have precedent for this, right? Ahsoka was a Jedi and she left the order. She decided she would forge her own way, right? In the High Republic, we have Orla. I don't know how you all, how familiar you all are with the High Republic, but we have a character called Orla, right? She was a Jedi, and she decided to become what's called in the High Republic a wayseeker. She's not exactly a Jedi, but she's not exactly not a Jedi. So there is precedent for characters to take a look at the way that this group is doing certain things and then decide, eh, I think I want to take a slightly different tangent from it. <laughs> there you go. As Dark Disciple Dark comes Disciple. on the screen. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very interesting question. I think, um, I think issues of culture in Star Wars are very, very interesting. Mm. I, I'm going to drop this little bit. And maybe this will spur me to work on it. I actually have an idea for an essay about the Mandalorian diaspora, which, of course, would be a cultural type, um, you know, related to your question. So, you know, maybe maybe we should be co-authors on this, right? I, I will co-author <laughs> that in a second if you want to start working on that. Frank? Yeah, so um, Frank gets this. <laughs> wow, what are we getting here? This is fantastic. Okay, so um, I want to go back to a couple of things. Uh, that moment that Tom spoke about, celebration, I brought it up again and again on my Star Wars timeline. It's a fixed point. It was a moment of revelation. This blew his when, mind. Oh, there was a couple of times <laughs> celebration blew my mind, and that was one of them. And we got straight back, ordered the book, and not only did it totally change who I thought Anakin was as a child, but the Tuscans as well. Because like you say, before that, they were savages in the desert. They were taking pot shots of pod racers. They were attacking anybody who came along. 
and suddenly you've got one who's take who's injured, taken pity on by a child, who stays with them all night at his own risk. In the morning, is surrounded by other Tuscans, and the injured one is like, "No, this is this is cool. This guy's helped me." And you suddenly got this huge change in what mm. a Tuscan raider is or what Tuscan raiders are. And now you're seeing that again. And I'm wondering, as, as we've all been talking here, again, these little sparks start going off. And, and I'm wondering, going back to the question earlier from Greg, about the lightsaber and the armor, you, you, you've got this issue where you, you can be both. You don't have to have that, that cut and dry decision about, as Amy was saying, do I have to go this way because it's what I've been shown? Or do I have to go this way because it's what I feel I should be doing? And you've got the Jedi who almost erase culture. I mean, they've got their own, but wherever you're from, you're a Jedi. You're not a Jedi from here. I mean, you are, but you're never referred to as this Jedi from here. You are a Jedi. And then you've got Tuscans who, in the camp, when Boba is welcomed into the tribe, the explanation that there are many tribes, there are some that are violent, there are some that are not, there are some that are great warriors to be respected, and that's fortunately the one that Boba encounters and becomes a part of. So the culture, I think, maybe is not just where you fall, it's what you learn, what you grow to accept, and that it accepts you as well. You know, you can't just go and take this culture. I like it. You have to understand it, respect it, and get it to respect you back, and then you can become a part of it. And I think maybe, maybe that's where we're going with, with, with Tom's question, mm. in my mind anyways. Greg, I'm going to let you have the last word. I see, I, I see the specs on. I see some thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will keep my answer very brief. Uh, so in 1977, there was a guy named George. Uh, let's start there. Now, uh, so, um, you know, there's a there's a very old joke in Star Wars fandom. I, I've heard it most often from the Star Wars Minute guys, where for a long time in the expanded universe, the whole culture was based on the one moment we had with that type of alien, right? So, uh, so like Cabe is seen reaching up to the bar. So wouldn't you know, Cabe's from a culture where they reach up to their elders and blah blah blah, right? <laughs> like, not exactly that, but that kind of silliness. If if somebody's a bounty hunter, then everybody on that planet's a bounty hunter. Wouldn't you know that? Um, and so when I'm listening to the very thoughtful question and and then uh, to the very thoughtful answers that have preceded me, the thing I was thinking the most about is what is mythology supposed to be. And mythology is supposed to be the encoding of the values of the civilization that creates it. And I think if we look at Star Wars from 1977 till now, um, that has changed. And Star Wars is beloved to me, and I think everybody on this Zoom call, uh, or else what are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> but uh, Because it has grown and evolved and changed. In 1977, we were... Uh, I wasn't alive, but uh, uh, but uh, what, as I understand it, uh, you know, George was motivated by the idea that everything had become really messy. And in America, we were lost. We were coming out of Vietnam and we didn't understand things. And he said, let me teach children how 
to view the world and remind them there can be a light side and a dark side. And if you're selfless, you can be on the light. And if you're selfish, you're going to be on the dark. Let me simplify it because that's what we need. Now, to me, that culture took over in the 80s and 90s and, you know, kids my age from the dark times between the trilogies and all that. We came of age thinking that's how the world is going to be. There's going to be good guys and bad guys, and we just have to figure out which one a person falls into. But that's not the world. And now our society has evolved, or at least parts of it has. And what we need is a message of if you, I mean, everything Frank just said, right? If you want to be a true, you know, light sider, you have to look at these cultures. You have to understand where other people are coming from and you have to see who they are and, and understand how that may or may not fit with your own experiences. Um, you know, it's, it's very much the, in, you know, diversity and equity training, we talk about how we're not supposed to be colorblind anymore. Uh, real understanding of racial injustice or a variety of other issues is based on understanding people and where they're from. And I think Star Wars has beautifully evolved to help us with that. And it's everything that, that you all just said, and down to the fact, I would even split it further than you did in the question, which is like, now we have not just a Mandalorian way of life, but we have the, the armor Mandalorians and the Bo-Katan mm-hmm. Mandalorians. Yeah. And we have the, the dark robe Tuscan tribe and we have the, the light robe Tuscan tribes. And so I think it's, it's like this uh, to steal Ross's, you know, this is what I came to the feast for. Right. And, and this is what we can take time to learn. And I honestly believe by it teaching fandom, this lesson, we all are improved by it. And that's the power of myth. Mm. Well, and Greg, even Excellent. going beyond that, we have Boba Fett who, <laughs> you know what? The chain code says he's Mandalorian. Mm. but is he recognized as Mandalorian by anyone else? So even within the culture, those that are ostracized or not recognized, well, no, you're not really part of me. It's, you know, that's a, that's a loophole kind of thing. So again, those, the the politics of being that, that exist. And, you know, to kind of go on uh, Tom's, Tom's question, as far as like, you know, they are, I think we are being challenged to, you know, evolve our thinking and our worldview of Star Wars. And I think that they're giving us every opportunity to, you know, like, hey, if you liked Boba Fett, if you like Tusken Raiders, we're going to go deep diving in there. And it may be more than what you expected. It may not be what you expected. But I do feel, you know, like, I feel like, you know, imagine that first scene in the in the Mandalorian, right? In the one where we hated uh, Toro, right? Everybody hates Toro. But the scene where all of a sudden the Mando all of a sudden does, you know, sign language to the Tuscans and it blew everybody's mind. And you got that tenfold in this. And all of a sudden, you know, it was that one gesture that, you know, they weren't, they were, they were there, then they were gone, man. We got, we got our goggles, we're, we're out, split. But it's like, everybody was like, whoa. And, you know, it's like you got your head turned for a second. I, I kind of like that. I liked being challenged. And I also like the fact that we're getting these. It's not one dimensional. I think I think some of my, my beef with some of the legends are right. When you think about like, oh, you, you know, like this, this character is a bounty hunter. Well, they come from a race of bounty hunters. You know, well, that's kind of and you, you kind of see that in the Clone Wars with the Mandalore, right? You think, well, oh, and then you see this, the group, well, they're, they're pacifists, but then there's Death Watch. And then you, so you're kind of getting this all. And I'm just like, 
you know, I, I just think we're just getting so much more and they keep adding to it. It just keeps getting this layers of this amazing cake that we're being fed. And, you know, who doesn't want cake? <laughs> but now anyway, we'll yeah. <laughs> we, we had, we've had the booze. Now let's get some cake. All right, Ross, Absolutely. you have been sitting there. I, I don't know whether you've been scribing notes or uh, he could have actually been listening to another, to another podcast. I mean, there are, that's the weird thing of doing this two days after. Whereas like when we did batch for, breakfast we were doing it on the day it was released you know now we're seeing everybody kind of playing catch up so i don't know, I don't know whether ross was listening to maybe he's listening to his boss uh and listening to you know the phantom tracks one which i was i was listening to before from the previous week but ross <laughs> it is time i want you to i want you to stump the panel we got a good panel i want you to stump us i don't know if this is stump so like this has been such a great conversation with such great deep thought on so many things that I'm going to take it to a little bit of a lighter place. Um, oh. I'm not a big action movie type person. Like I enjoy everything we've talked about so far, but I also know that during the bad batch, my favorite one-on-one, -on -one, I, I never thought I would see a battle that I liked better than Darth Maul versus Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And then I saw Cad Bane and Fennec Shan mm. fighting hand-to-hand. -hand. Are we going to get round three of Cad Bane and Fennec Shan in live action? Mm. All right, I see your hand up, Amy. Let's do this. <laughs> Let Frank go first. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> Can I just say yes? Or I hope so? Can I just say he's he went there earlier before we started this podcast. <laughs> he was like, "Are we going to get that?" So yeah, yeah, yeah. Th this is true. Uh, when Greg said he wanted a couple of a couple of questions, you know, a question or two, uh, I was at work. I was kind of busy, but I, I was scribbling. I quickly <laughs> typed up something before I came home, and one of them was, "Is this not going to be Cad Bane, Boba Fett? Is this going to be Cad Bane, Fennec Shand?" Yep. And so yeah, there, there's there's history there. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, like I mentioned earlier when I was speaking there, you know, they both went over the same bounty. They lost any trappings from it, and they didn't get the 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 aquas, uh, the, the, the the target that was required to, to complete the bounty. So there's history right there. Um, whether it'll happen intentionally or by by chance meeting. That'd be an interesting thing to find out. I mean, is there going to eventually be an incursion into Jabba's palace? I mean, we're, we're talking about Ooh. these 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 families, as Amy was talking, the, the armies, the pikes, and this kind of stuff that are that must be in huge numbers. And even with this agreed peace between the families around the area of Tatooine, there's so much that can go wrong for so many of these characters that are all sure they're doing what they need to to be successful and probably have no idea what's around the corner so yeah i'm, I'm certainly hoping so and it would not surprise me I, I think a rematch after seeing that so recently on bad batch oh gosh i really hope so <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna leave it at that i'm gonna leave it at that i'll have all the characters involved they're great so. greg do you think you were gonna maybe see this in live action Ooh, uh, I think 
Boba Fett is going to be busy on his rancor. Again, we're doing dangerous <laughs> speculation. Uh, I think we were we have been introduced to these pikes because, like the battle droids of the prequels, you can kill a lot of pikes without it being R-rated, uh, right? Because you're not hurting you know, actual humans on screen. So I think Boba's busy down there. Um, I think uh, Black Kersantan and Mando are, uh, you know, I don't even know, finding some lieutenants. Uh, so I'm, I'm just, this is me putting all the, the pieces around Mos Espa. I see Fennec Shan up on a hillside. Cad Bane tries to get the drop on her. Uh, but she's learned her lesson from the Toro Calican and all that uh, fight. So, yeah, I, I'm going to say yes, uh, mostly because I could not break Frank's heart to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you being so delicate with me. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Gross, does Cad Bane kick Fennec Shan in the gut and find out there's a little something different there? Are we going to see that in live action? <laughs> It was a cheap shot, but oh, I took it. Oh, boy. Well, that, is oh, that the know. one piece of intel he doesn't have? Ah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, this is what, in the conversations I've had with friends at work, um, this is this is how Cad Bane's enter, entry has been received. We've had Boba Fett in his camp on one side. We've had the Pikes on the other side. And Cad Bane changes everything mm. and so i don't know i mean it's it certainly is intriguing to think that we're going to have some kind of a, a a rematch there and oh he's such a he's such a dangerous foe cad bane is um but i, there, I think I, I think for me the safe answer is we're going to see one heck of a gunfight and Cad Bane and Fennec Shan are going to be in the middle of it. I mean, we, one thing we haven't talked is has everyone got, got, gotten their questions? Has everyone asked the question? Because the one thing we really haven't talked about that, that kind of ties into this in my mind is we haven't really taken a deep dive into the Western genre but that's what I'm seeing. I mean, so think about how a Western gunfight at the end of the movie goes. You've got pockets here and there, and then one pocket collapses into the next as, as someone is defeated, and then and then it just sort of comes down to the to the final showdown. And if if in my mind I think of all the different pockets that could potentially be going on here, it's a little mind blowing. And is it possible that there that one of those pockets and little gunfights and little chases and punching and kicking and oh you have a metal stomach now could that be <laughs> Cad Bane and um, <clears throat> and Fennec Shad? Absolutely. I like I like it. You know, and and it's kind of fun because you're just seeing, like I said, we're we're just getting fed you know, these characters, and it's like, and imagine going back when you saw Ahsoka for the first time in live action, and now you're seeing, you know, some of these other characters that are coming up, Black or Sentin, and you're just like, oh my, you know, like, so the whole time you're like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme that you see from, you know, Once Upon a Time, and you know, in Hollywood, where he just kind of sits there and keeps pointing at it, uh, as I was posting somebody today, so yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's something, this, this may be the one that 
in my feeling, I think this is the one that everybody's going to call. And I think we, we have to see it because just like the, the slight scene between Ahsoka and Luke, you know, where you just want, you wanted, you were waiting for her to say like, just like your father. I'm like, all you had to say, would we have loved another three to five minutes of this or an entire episode of them talking about it? Yes. But did we get the line? That's all, you know, that's so even if they square off, but they don't see, can you imagine that kind of tease where they see it, but there's so much going on that they just can't get to each other. Um, and somehow if we, if we know our Westerns, uh, did, did everybody see gunfight at the okay corral, 1956, Burt Lancaster? Mm. Young... I saw it. I didn't see it then. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's a good. Oh. <laughs> Greg would have been like, "What? What is he talking about?" Um, yeah, uh, uh, Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster, and a very young Dennis Hopper are in that movie in one of his first movies. Sure, sure. I won't, I won't spoil it because you all haven't seen it, but it was on TBS, ran incessantly. Greg has, if you, you missed, you missed growing up in that era where they just put all those movies on TBS and they just ran them. Now there's Turner classic movies and there's a channel on Pluto now, but at any rate, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm starting to think of like all the, you know, the, the streets of Moss Espa and this huge gunfight that's going to play out in pockets of the city. And unfortunately we had the explosion at Madame Garza. So, you know, that, that's going to be an interesting way that plays out and I won't spoil uh, some of the lightning round that's coming up. But it is interesting. I think we're going to see Moss Espa as a battleground uh, in this, yep. and it's going to be all Western. It's going to be all Westerned up. Uh, I'm going to make. I, I will throw out there: watch Young Guns if you haven't. Oh, for because I feel like that has influenced certain parts of this series quite a bit. Young Guns is yeah. great. I'm especially yep. a standoff at the house. I mean, could we see that at Jabba's Palace? Yeah, you know, well, with, I mean, with the big guns coming up out front. I'm thinking Lou Diamond Phillips when Boba is getting his <laughs> his wood stick, like yeah. things from from that film have shown up in this series. The only thing I what I, I don't I don't want the uh, the Bon Jovi track as much as I like shot in Blaze of Glory. Um, I, I don't think we need. Uh, I think that's the one thing we don't need in this is uh, it's a it's Max Jovi. In this one. (laughs) (laughs) And on on that note, as we bring it down, I I will finish with this question uh, before we move on to the lightning round. And this kind of has to do with the overall ending of this. As I sort of thought, if we move, if we move past the pikes, if we have this showdown and, and the aftermath, my question is if we can put on our speculation hat, What's next if Boba and company and crew, you know, Star Wars guns, finishes off the pikes? What's next? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it to the molders, and you all can elect. You can all, all can elect a spokesman for this one. What happens post pikes if there is such? We were talking briefly about this earlier, and people keep going towards Crimson Dawn. Um. Clone Wars, we saw that uh, that hologram with Dryden Voss and the Pikes. So they're clearly at one point in time aware of each other and collaborating, working together. So 
I would I would like to think it was going that way for a criminal organization to have such broad range, which is what Crimson Dawn seems to do. And the pikes just seem they just strike me as being thuggish drug runners. They seem to just it very much hinges on spice. If the spice is flowing, they're doing well. And in that respect, they seem a little one-dimensional. And maybe we're getting something different, ultimately, from the Book of Boba Fett when it comes to the pikes. But a lot of people are saying, is there a big bad behind this mm. bunch? And we've had that question raised again and again and again. It doesn't seem likely a Tuscan camp was killed by a biker gang. You know, there's these little things which are like, this doesn't seem to be something that this group could manage. So... I'm going to go with a with a Crimson Dawn for the answer for no other reason. I think that that once this 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 Pike thing is dealt with in whichever way it plays out, there's there you go, Kira. Kira. There's there, there there's there's a head there, and in the card trader recently, she just signed a digital card for the first time. Yes. Could that could that be a little hint? Could that be a hey, watch this one. <laughs> You're going to see her again one day. I don't know. I'll, t- I'll take it as a breadcrumb. Maybe did Brandon, one, did Brandon Bernard it. and company, did they, did they spill the beans? Uh, did, that's uh, that's yeah. a good answer. Amy, do you, ha- do you have something you want to, are you ready just for whatever comes next? I am ready for what comes next. I don't have a good answer mm. for that. We've got more. <laughs> we've got more to find out in the next episode. Greg, what happens, what happens post Pikes? I'm picturing Tom's pockets, a pocket here, a pocket there. Uh, it's down, more pikes just, you know, all over the town square. Uh, Ahsoka jumps in. She's joining the fight. And suddenly she looks across and she locks eyes with the true mastermind behind all of this. And she says, Stinky, is that you, young Rod of the Hut? coming back to take over your father's <laughs> legacy uh, and take his throne. Uh, <laughs> uh, we watched the Clone Wars movie this morning in my house, in case anybody was wondering. Uh, so, uh, no, uh, I think the safe money is on Crimson Dawn. And if I were a gambling man, that's where it would be. I'm going to just share two things that make me very nervous about that. First is... Um, Amelia Clark talked not that long ago about how much she wanted to return as Kira. And so that to me says at that moment, she didn't have an NDA that she had signed. Oops. Now, is it possible they heard that, grabbed her, signed something up, and she's doing one scene? Absolutely. But it makes me think it at least wasn't part of the plan. And again, if they're operating four or five steps ahead of us. Uh, And then the second thing, just super briefly, is... She's a huge part of the comics right now. And it seems mm. to me that when the comics take on a character, it's because you know, everything else doesn't need her or him just then. Um, so to give Charles Sewell a lot of freedom um, also seems to me like they probably weren't planning to use her at least. Um, but the time period is very different. And so it's very easy to think they could have said to, to Charles Sewell, start here and, you know, just make sure you leave her here. And, you know, then we're talking six, seven, eight years later, we could pick her up wherever they purposely had her, him finish with her. So uh, 
so that's where I'm at. I'm hopeful. I, I think that would really excite fandom. Um, and I think uh, I'm somebody who's a little more lukewarm on Solo. Sorry. Uh, and so part of that would be giving Kira a, a legacy after that movie would do a lot to redeem that film for me personally. I'm, I'm looking at Tom and I'm thinking this is exactly what in my head Coffee with Kenobi looks like when I'm listening to it, because I'm seeing Tom rock back and forth, hand on chin. He's really deep in thought, as if Dan Zare just gave him this wild question. He's like, how the hell am I going to follow up, Dan? You're, really, you're, you're just putting me out there in left field. So I'm really curious. That, like, Is this exactly what Coffee with Kenobi looks like? Uh, I know I'm on the CWK Alliance, and I should be watching the streams. Uh, I don't get to because I work on Wednesday nights. But is this existing? Is this a good indication of what what uh, listeners could be seeing if if I could somehow have had this video to post? Uh, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. I mean, you know, speculation is not a strong point of uh, Coffee with Kenobi. In fact, it's incredibly discouraged um, for for good for good reason. You know, for good reason. But I think I think it's fun, and so I hmm. I don't usually dive into the world of speculation because I like to be surprised. But one thing I know, and this is a when I worked in radio sales, I had a boss that kept telling me, nature abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. Fill that hole. And so one thing I know is if it, I'm not even convinced that the pikes will be eliminated. I'm not even convinced mm. of that. But if we if we're if we're hypothesizing that the pikes are removed from Tatooine and from the picture, something we know will fill that void. My feeling is, or my hope would be that it is a new, <laughs> new order. Let's try another word. Uh, <laughs> a new, that's a trademarked. New, you know, a new. Yes, it is. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for then? Um, hopefully it is something that involves Boba Fett's vision, at least for that region. Um, you know, Crimson Dawn, of course, you know, that that is that is sort of the, the hot button. It's, it's way off here to the side that keeps flashing and, and irritating me and being like, what? Just settle down over there. So, you know, it's something's going to happen with that. I mean, it's just it's just it's too good of a name to just sort of let go. Crimson Dawn. I mean, holy cow. And they introduced that concept. Wow. That just sounds phenomenal in the past and history of it. But to I. Yeah, I think that's where I stand on it. Is is as far as I can see, is is a new, a new vision. It's Boba Fett's vision that takes takes hold, mm -hmm. at least in some fashion. And and what syndicate, what group, the Huts, Stinky, whomever, it's you know it, then then we see that kind of picking picking at the edges. Hmm. But Boba Fett's all about respect, so maybe he parlays with the Pikes, and you know, you, you don't know. I think it makes sense also if you're thinking about the twins that they are sitting us out, and I think, you know, Crimson Dawn may be in that camp where everybody, you know, this this backwater planet is now becoming you know quite the hot spot and i think a lot of groups out there want to wait and let this play out and i think that was i think you know for me i was speculating with with greg before that 
You know, the Twins didn't have as strong as hand as they would like you to believe they did. You know, they could be the, the old paper tiger and they're just like, well, we'll just let a lot of these people kill themselves off. Then we can kind of come in with whatever muscle and reputation we still have. You know, we don't know where mm. Crimson Dawn is. We were hoping, hoping that Kira is out there somewhere. Um, you know, like I said, you know, it, it's odd that all of a sudden an Amelia Clark, you know, signature just pops up out of nowhere in Star Wars Card Trader. Um but you start to wonder, it's like, well, if there is a season two, is it just going to be good old-fashioned gangster stuff back and forth and rather than just this world-building event where you have, like, you know, the pikes being taken on? And so it'll be very interesting to see in episode seven whether or not, you know, are the pikes eliminated? Does it come to a parlay? Does it, you know, are, is Boba Fett taken out in this case where it becomes that and they have to, they have to keep regrouping? So... That, that's something that I kept looking back, and I'm like, man, what, what's the game? What is the end game here? And what's going to happen What's going to happen next season if there is? Greg, and I, I think the, the word game plays into there well. Just as Favreau has talked about Game of Thrones and that having an influence on, on the series. So how many times during Game of Thrones, I don't know how many of you watched it, were you just like, no way <laughs> how did that happen and we didn't see that coming and it completely changed the trajectory of everything you know is that potentially going to happen in this episode whether it's the pikes whether it's the pikes winning boba's team winning at the end of the day for me what i want to see is us moving back to mandalore so yes. whether this is an Empire Strikes Back of, hey, the good guys just got it handed to them, but we're going to go regroup mm. kind of kind of midsection. But I want to see what the armorer was talking about. I want to see all of that mythology coming to life that mm. so much magic can occur there. And there has been such a great setup with Din Djarin with the Mandalorian, with Bo-Katan, with Boba Fett, who's Mandalorian, but not Mandalorian. There's so much there right now that may be the bigger picture of what's actually happening. And they're just like, the Pikes, who cares? Spice? It doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, take Tatooine. This is going on now. So <laughs> I, I just, I love the unknown of this right now. Like, I love seeing the biggest Christmas present sitting under the tree and knowing that I have a week to wait to open it and guessing what's in that box. I like it. Speaking from a man who has a few boxes in his house that uh, he gets to look at. Every... <laughs> All right. I will, we will, um, for our own bladder's sake, uh, we will move into the lightning round. Uh, what a great discussion. And I love all the questions we, we got tonight uh, from everyone on the panel. Strong, strong with the force this panel is. Um, <laughs> but I also want to uh, bring in, we're going to do some We're gonna do some quick questions here. Uh, but earlier today, I put this out to some of the other Card Squadron members uh, to give me some of their takes on some of maybe a little more of the, I wouldn't say obvious questions, but a little, these are more yes or no type ones. And I want to give a special shout out to uh, Brendan Bernard, of uh, Tops, uh, who the chief graphic designer for Star Wars Card Trader, uh, for taking part. 
Um, another one, Stephen Wren, uh, the Star Wars guru on Twitter, who's also in Card Squadron. Kyle Scully, uh, at SoCal underscore Scully, uh, who loves uh, listening to Greg and I go on and on uh, in these types of uh, programs and uh, mm-hmm. just was uh, very active in his Dan Shoemaker, uh, Qui-Gon Gin and Tonic. Um, Tracy Medina, the artist uh, dot, at tsm.art, uh, who's done some great sketch work, and you can see her on Instagram. Of course, our friend, our fellow friend, Daniel Lowe uh, of Fanthatrax at White Boba Fett, uh, who also, at, at sort of the 11th hour, uh, th- threw in some answers as well and was very happy to sit this one out, and he wanted to be home, and I was like, that, that's fine. Just give me, <laughs> give me your answers. Uh, we, we love you, Daniel. Uh, we, we'd, we'd have loved you got you know, on here, but that podcast, probably this probably would have been a, a lot longer. I think we've already doubled the size of two episodes of The Book of Boba <laughs> Fett. But anyway, all righty. So are we ready for the lightning round on this as I go through? And then as we give our responses, I will give the responses of the, the Card Squadron members who sent in their answers earlier. All right. First question, and I will start once again with Amy. Cobb, live or dead? Alive. Alive? All right. Absolutely. Frank? Alive. Definitely alive. alive. Yes. All right. Ross? Alive. Yeah, all right. Tom, what do you think? The marshal leads the people of Freetown to Mos Espa. <laughs> and Mr. Cass. Uh, Dr. Cass, uh, too <laughs> handsome to die. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yes. I, I think the fact that uh, the, the poor deputy... Uh, taught us a lot by getting getting hit several times. Uh, <laughs> uh, pretty much proved that um, that uh, yes, that uh, Cobbanth is alive, and that was the response of the uh, card squadron as well. Uh, it was across the board. Everybody thought uh, that he is he's making it out. Um, this is this is the this is the character that uh, there was a little bit of back and forth. I, this was not unanimous on this, Madame Garza. Alive or dead? Once again, Amy, I'm going to put it to you. I hate to say it, but I think dead. Ah, interesting. Frank, what do you feel about this? I don't mind disagreeing. I think alive. Ah, all right, all right. It's not going to be a quorum on this one. Ross, Mm. how do you feel about this? Recovering in Boba's back to pod. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) I'm telling you, he should, uh, he should, that, that should be a little side business for him, right? You know, Boba's back to back to bath. Um, I'm just looking at opportunities. Tom, what do you feel? Alive or dead? Garza's place is for sale. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Cass. Dead. Uh, I think lingering to provide one last message to Boba or the other crime families. But then Mm. the place is up for sale. Ah, kind of striving that. <laughs> I would really like to hope that the one of the interviews I read on her today where she was thinking she was her character's not there. I I want her to be alive. I really loved her scene when she was trying to talk Black Crescent off the cliff. Yeah. Uh and right. when it goes back to my previous question about, you know, where do we go from here in the book of Boba Fett? There's nobody else in town. You know, she was kind of like your link into Moss Espa. Other than the mayor and his uh, and his major domo, um, who I who I still want to see a little more of, but you know, so yeah, I I'm hoping she's still alive. Um, 
uh, that wasn't necessarily the thought of a lot of the card squadron. Uh, Brandon Bernard said she was dead. Uh, the Star Wars guru, Steven, dead. Kyle Scully, dead. Uh, Qui-Gon Gin and Tonic, dead. Uh, Tracy Medina thought she was alive. And um, Daniel Lowe was hoping she was still alive. So that's going to be kind of interesting. We'll have to tally these results yeah. up. All right. Here's another beloved character. Max Rebo. Alive or dead? Amy, what's your call? Oh, he's alive. <laughs> Max Rebo forever. Fair enough. All right. Do we have a consensus among the molders? Yes. I, I don't believe Max Rebo can be killed. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Holliban, what's your take? Yeah, I, I think he was out back rolling some spice or something like that to, to get ready for his next set because we didn't see him. Do, do, is there a Max Rebo um, Funko Pop? There's not. The, the only thing I have, and so that they've come out with the the concept art where his legs are his arms. But yes, oh. that that Greg is showing right now, he's actually oh, wearing a little diaper and has legs. Yes. So. <laughs> Max Rebo I depends. He, I think he made his way out there. Yeah, I think. Or maybe he, he met Obi Wan Kenobi. You know that happens <laughs> sometimes. There we go. <laughs> Charles Soul, get on that, Mister Gross. Max Rebo, alive or dead? Oh, he's alive. That was <laughs> twin brother Marvin. Double <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Cass, who has the who had the Max Rebo toy ready at the at the uh, at the drop of a hat. I'm so jealous that Ross has everything at his fingertips. So when you finally had a toy that I had in arm's reach, I got really excited. Um, I have been over that scene in this episode like I was studying the JFK assassination. And I am determined to believe that Max Rebo was not there that night. He had Mm -hmm. the night off. Uh, and we will be seeing him again uh, just fine. Maybe he'll buy the place. Call it Max's. There we go. Yeah, I'm sort of in your camp. I did not I did not see him there, and I think that would be pretty cool to bring him back to confirm, like with Legends, that he survived only to kill him off. I am going to agree with the panel and say that he is alive, and I would say across the board, only one person in the card squadron also thought – or thought against this and that would be tracy medina who said no mas so interesting we will have to Mm. see um but uh will 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 the will the club reopen under new management and max will be the only one i think he's got a he's got a guaranteed gig all right and let's see here's one what does grogu choose the chainmail or the shiny saber amy what does he choose? I think he chooses chainmail. Uh, it goes with the Mando. All right. I don't think Grogu knows what he wants. And I'm concerned that Grogu is not who we think he is. Ooh. There's a tease, Frank. I don't know how you follow that one up. <laughs> what does he do? Does... I'm just going to say chainmail. Chain I can't follow that up. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with the armor. He chooses the Mando. Ross, Mando, or the Saber? I'm going to go lightsaber. Ooh, just because right. he saw how many frogs were in the air. Oh. <laughs> Thinking with his stomach. Not just Chewie. <laughs> now, Tom, I'm going 
I'm going to say a qualifying answer for this, if you know your price is right, is if you give out the answer at $1, I will accept that as an answer. Because <laughs> it's a tough call, either Mando or the Sabre or a dollar. <laughs> well... You know, I, I haven't given a straight answer yet, so why would I now? Because I believe that Grogu, in his youthful innocence, will find a way to get both. But I think if it, if if he weren't as smart as I think he is, I think he would go with the chain armor. Oh, he's going to go Mando. All right. Greg, I leave it to you on this one. Oh, it's 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 the age old conflict. My head says he's going Mando, but my heart, I think I want him to go Jedi. Yeah. Um, I remember, my friends, I'm a Kenobi man, and Kenobi's about duty, and I, I that's what I want for Grogu. But but we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. So your final answer is. Oh, I don't know. My stomach says no. Uh, <laughs> Back to it. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with lightsaber. That's what I want for him. All I want, right. I want him. But it's a tough time in the galaxy to pick the lightsaber. Those cookies were pretty good, weren't they? He, he... <laughs> Grogu went for the cookies. All right. Yeah, I think that uh, I think this choice was too tough for him. And I don't think it was, I think it shows once again when we talked about Luke, uh, I don't necessarily think this was your, this was not a day you're going to get an apple for being the teacher. So I do think that um, the chainmail is too, a little too um, irresistible. And I think that's where his heart is. Um, and he's going to he's going to go Mando and then he's going to come back and he's going to kick Luke's butt when Luke is old. Or actually, he's going to come to Ock too, right? Now that Luke's out of the way, and he's going, thank you. I think that belongs to me. You were right. I live a very long time, and the rest of you all die pretty quick. So I, and, I the second, and the second seat in the anyone starfight is going to look pretty empty if there's no one sitting in it. Exactly. Mm. Well, I was the yep. one that maybe called that a BD unit would be there. I'm like, give that. That's the droid. Um, works too. Works too. Uh, the last question we kind of had was kind of answered already. Um, Oh, oh, on that, the, on the card squadron. Sorry, on on the fact of what does what does Grogu choose? Um, nearly everyone, yes, everybody said Mando chose the male. Although I did like Daniel Lowe's answer. Why did you ask me that? He was like, <laughs> all right. So uh, apparently Daniel was a bit conflicted, like the rest of us. All right, now now we we um. We also polled, and this goes back to my last question, are the Pikes really behind all this, or there, is there another character pulling the strings? Um, just to round this out to finish out this question. Amy, are the Pikes really behind all this, or is someone else behind them? I think the Pikes are powerful within their sort of sphere of influence, which could be, in a certain way of looking at it, you know, fairly substantial, but I do think that there is someone above them that makes them look very small time. Yeah. All right. A big, big bad. Frank, is that your opinion or do you have the opposite view? Yeah, I, I think there's a puppet master. Yeah, I, I agree. Someone beyond the pikes. I like puppet answer as an answer. Puppet master. All right. Ross. Do not look behind the curtain. <laughs> All right. So you're saying just the pikes for right now? Oh no no no! Oh. There there's someone pulling pulling ah, okay, okay. from behind the curtain. Someone else. The, the Wizard of Oz is back there. 
<laughs> Mr. Gross. <laughs> I believe it's just the Pikes. Ooh, okay. Ooh. Yeah, all right, all right. Mr. Cass? Uh, I'm going to go just the Pikes, but season two is the Untouchables with Han Solo leading a squad to take him down. <laughs> <laughs> My feeling is that since we can pretty much get Luke Skywalker at will, that the Disney company basically needs to park a truck next to Harrison Ford's house dump a bunch of money and we get Harrison Ford. We get hand solo for the next, you know, I'm only going to be around one another 20, 30 years. Maybe if I'm lucky, <laughs> I don't mind seeing a, I don't mind seeing a CG version of hand solo for that time. Then, then, we, then, you know, who's he, what's it's Canadian to the role. Um, <laughs> but that was an interesting point of, of, a, of a ver, go read the verge article on, you know, did they kind of screw the pooch on keeping Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker or should they have recast? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to saw that. But that was an interesting article. When you go looking through the reviews of, as I wait for the internet to tell me my opinion on this. <laughs> um, but I do also agree to to bring this back. I think there's someone else. I'm really hoping it's Crimson Dawn or somebody else. You know, uh, someone was asking like it could have been Maul. This has been a great. You know, this has been a great time to bring in Maul. But yeah, we're wrong place in the timeline. Um, Let's see. Brandon Bernard, uh, just them for now. Steven, someone else, Kyle, agrees. Um, Qui-Gon Genetonic was like, yes, way late to bring in someone else at this point, which I thought was interesting. Although, after this episode of pretty much, once again, Cad Bane was the sixth lead in this. Um, <laughs> what's what's not on the table at this point? Um, Tracy says someone else. And Dan said someone else. So it's, it's interesting that... Mm. Uh, more of the opinion seems to be on someone else's pulling it, but it's anybody's game, and I think that really leads into really what's happening. What's going to happen in season two? All right, I can't believe we we have gone this far, um, but I do think we want to bring this particular conversation to a close. And I would also argue I think this was a little more important episode to do it with, as we are in the penultimate episode of this, as you know. If we go, whatever happens next week, well, we're gonna have to wait a very long time if there's ever gonna be. So I like the fact that we got in a lot of the, a lot of our hopes, dreams, and and other questions in on this one. But if you have a question, on boba for breakfast, uh, you can find us all on the socials, more on Twitter, and Instagram. You can do Rebel Base Card, or you can do uh, Tom. What is your cycling librarian? Not real active on it, but it's there. <laughs> Ross, where can people find you on Twitter or Instagram? Uh, Twitter would be Ross Holobin, R-O-S-S-H-O-L-L-E-B-O-N. And Instagram, Popstar Indie. Excellent. All right, the Molders. I think you guys are the same across both. Can you give us your handles? Yes, on Instagram and Twitter, I am Mrs. Daft Prawn. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Daft Prawn. Such a cute couple. Um, <laughs> Greg Cass, where can people find you online except for the Wampas Lair? Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at IonCanon, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N, established 2017, <laughs> the original. 
often imitated but never duplicated. I, I don't know how I can top that. Um, norm, normally, my tagline of when, all right, I'd have this go longer, but it already kind of did. Um, I, you know, we have other podcast recap shows to listen to, including. Coffee with Kenobi, which my, our friend Tom Gross here is a part of, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say to Dan, and I can't also wait to hear what Dan has to say. Um, but I do want to thank all the guests who joined me tonight, Amy and Frank Mulder, Ross Holliban, Tom Gross, Gregory Cass, and all the Card Squadron members who contributed to this amazing episode. This was, this was one for the book, folks, and I'm really happy everybody was along for the ride. We are going to return you now to your podcast playlist already in progress. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.